Today's episode is sponsored by Firebee Honey. If you are looking for something unique and absolutely delicious, then look no further because I am about to tell you about my latest obsession, Firebee Honey. Firebee Honey is honey with a kick and the perfect ratio of sweet and heat. This honey is handcrafted in small batches to transform the flavor of raw honey without compromising its amazing health benefits, which is what makes it stand out from traditional hot sauces. They use the perfect blend of flavors so even non-spicy lovers can enjoy. We use honey a ton in our house, but wanted to spice things up with a little more flavor. And let me tell you, this stuff is a game changer for sure. My son and I are big chicken nugget people and honey is our go-to dipping sauce. But recently we switched up our traditional honey for fire bee honey. And let me tell you, I may never go back. Not only is it delicious, but there are no added sugars or nasty preservatives. So I feel really good about feeding it to my family. And if a kick isn't your thing, fire has flavors like cinnamon, vanilla, elderberry, and chocolate that would be perfect for baking or a fancy cup of tea and other items like spicy honey beef jerky and spicy honey barbecue sauce, which my husband promptly took and made the most amazing pulled pork sandwiches with. So if you are ready to spice up your meals and enjoy some flavor while still reaping the benefits of raw honey, then Fire Bee is the place for you. Get 15% off your purchase when you order two or more bottles by using the link www.firebeehoney.com slash morning cup of murder. That's www.firebeehoney.com slash morning cup of murder for 15% off the purchase of two or more bottles of Fire Bee Honey. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder... When a person in the public eye is the victim of a tragedy, you assume that their murder will be solved quickly. Maybe it's because all eyes are on them, meaning there will be a lot of witnesses, or that officials will work hard to make sure a public figure's death doesn't get brushed under the rug. On April 26, 1999, a BBC presenter was shot in front of her apartment. But despite being a beloved public figure, her death is anything but solved. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Jill Dando, born November 9th, 1961, was a well-known television presenter and newsreader who appeared in the homes of thousands of families living in the UK. Starting out as a trainee reporter at a local weekly newspaper, Jill worked her way up the chain of command and into the BBC newsroom. By 1985, she was working as a newsreader for BBC Radio Devon, transferred to BBC Southwest, and started presenting a regional news magazine program called Spotlight Southwest. That turned into a BBC Spotlight in Plymouth, and then to national television in London, where she presented one-hour news bulletins that aired on both BBC One and BBC Two, from 1986 to the mid-1990s. She presented on shows like Breakfast Time, Breakfast News, the BBC One O'Clock News, and Six O'Clock News, a travel show called Holiday, and, maybe most notably, a series called Crime Watch that she started in 1995. 
She appeared on the cover of the Radio Times, was named BBC Personality of the Year in 1997, and had just booked a new job as the host of the British Academy Television Awards, as well as her continuation as presenter on Antiques Inspector. She had it all, and according to all reports, was a beloved part of the lives of everyone who knew her, which is what made the events of April 26, 1999, that much more shocking. It was on that morning that 37-year-old Jill Dando, the household name, left the Chiswick home of her new fiancé, gynecologist Alan Farthing, and made her way to her home in Fulham, London, a home she was in the process of selling and didn't spend a lot of time inhabiting. She reached her door at around 11.32 a.m., reached her hand out to put the keys in the door, and all at once was grabbed by an unknown assailant, forced to the ground, and killed instantly with a single shot to her left temple with a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. 14 minutes later, a neighbor saw Jill's body lying in the entryway of the building and called police at 11.47. Jill was declared dead on arrival as she was wheeled into the Charing Cross Hospital. What happened next was the biggest murder inquiry conducted by the Metropolitan Police and the country's largest criminal investigation since the Yorkshire Ripper. And in a twist of irony, a show she worked on, Crime Watch, reconstructed her murder in an attempt to find her unknown killer. Everyone in London wanted to know who took this rising star's life, especially her family and the man she was set to marry in just five months. The investigation, referred to as Operation Oxborough, began its work and within six months had spoken to more than 2,500 people and taken more than a 1,000 statements. One of the many came from Jill's next-door neighbor, who said he heard a surprised cry come from just outside his door that sounded like Jill greeting a friend, that he heard no gunshot but looked outside of his window and saw a man about six feet tall, white and around 40 years old, walking away from Jill's home. He had no idea that Jill was lying dead on the floor and that the man he saw walking away was her killer. The investigation began working on the premise that Jill, a woman known by millions, had been killed by a contract killer, which would explain how the killer shot her with such quiet precision. This idea, though, was quickly scrapped when they took into consideration that she was so seldomly at her Fulham home meaning it was unlikely that a professional would have that much information about her comings and goings. Not just that, but forensics found that the cartridge case and bullet recovered had been modified to fit a replica or decommissioned gun, which they thought was unlikely the poor quality weapon of choice of a professional assassin. So that theory evolved into a stalker or a rabid fan, acting alone and opportunistically. With that in mind, the police had to clear every man Jill had ever had a romance with or rejected, which they were able to do. Heading towards a dead end, police were given a big piece of information that would change the course of the entire investigation. A name. A tip-off came in the day after the murder. A tip-off came in the day after the murder, referring to a mentally unstable man who lived just 500 yards from Jill's home a man named Barry George. It took more than 10 months for police to sift through all of the media coverage and public outcry and land on Barry, who started to fit the psychological profile that was provided by a criminal psychologist in May of 1999. Barry, an obsessive loner, had previous convictions for rape, 
indecent assault, and on one occasion was found hiding in some bushes near Kensington Palace, carrying a knife and some rope. He went under a number of false names, often tying himself to celebrities like Freddie Mercury and Gary Glitter, and spent years in the Territorial Army making him experienced in firearms. He was known to stalk women. His home was filled with photographs of local women with more than four copies of the Jill Dando memorial issue of a BBC magazine. And in the pocket of one of his overcoats was a tiny particle of what could be gunshot residue. On the surface, it looked like Barry George was the perfect suspect. So the police focused all of their attention on their one and only suspect. On May 25th, 2000, after being put on surveillance, Barry George was arrested and charged a few days later with Jill Dando's murder. A few months later, he was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment, but not everyone was so sure Barry was the culprit. The case against him was flimsy at best, and many believed that he had been railroaded by an investigation team who was desperate to solve the incredibly public murder. Even the women whom he stalked doubted that he had the intelligence to plan and execute such a clean murder. And an IQ test would back up their statements, putting Barry at an IQ point of 75. Two unsuccessful appeals later, the forensics used in the case were discredited and officially excluded from the prosecution's case. Once this happened, there was very little to keep Barry behind bars, and his final appeal was finally successful. Meaning by August of 2008, Barry George was officially acquitted and cleared. So where does that leave Jill's case? Unfortunately, as of right now, her cases join the realms of cold cases alike. Though, like many, that doesn't mean there aren't a fair share of theories and speculation. The first seems simple enough, a jealous ex-boyfriend or an unknown lover. Though investigators combed through this information and cleared everyone they knew about, some say this is still an option. There is also the obvious assumption that this was a deranged fan, or even a horrible case of mistaken identity. Another theory involves something much larger. Some think that a Bosnian or Yugoslav group targeted Jill in retaliation for NATO actions against media outlets and her own personal appeal for aid during the Yugoslav wars. That she had angered someone very violent who wanted to make a point and statement by ending her life. In fact, just 20 days before her murder, she fronted the BBC Kosovo crisis appeal that raised more than £1 million for those fleeing the latest round of ethnic cleansing that was taking place in the Balkans. And just a few days before the murder, British and U.S. warplanes bombed the radio television Serbia building, killing 16 news organization employees. In fact, the day after the murder, Tony Hall, the head of BBC's news at the time, was phoned by an unknown man with an East European accent saying, Your Prime Minister Blair butchered innocent young people. We butcher back. If this was the case, it meant that the original hitman theory was correct, which is how she was killed in broad daylight with no witnesses. Others say it wasn't her involvement with the Yugoslav war, and instead her investigation into the infamous pedophile ring at the BBC during the 1990s following the Jimmy Savile scandal. Along the same vein, many believe she may have been killed by an angry individual who earned a conviction based on evidence garnered on Jill's show, Crime Watch, that they hired a hitman in an act of revenge. 
Though, again, police claim to have ruled out this theory along with all of the others, meaning Jill's case may be doomed to remain cold. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 27th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.